Hello and welcome to the Beyond Your Research Degree podcast by the University of Exeter Doctoral College. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Beyond Your Research Degree. I'm your host Kelly Preece and for this episode we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Charlotte Kelsted. Charlotte graduated with her PhD um, in history from the University of Exeter recently and is currently working as an events coordinator at the European Centre for Palestine Studies. But I'm not going to be talking to Charlotte about her career. In fact, we're switching it around and instead Charlotte's going to be interviewing me about my career in research and higher education. So take it away, Charlotte. Okay, fantastic. So. I have lots of questions for you because I feel like you've been part of my experience at Exeter for quite a long time. So I remember when I was when I was back doing an undergraduate doing the Exeter, the X Factor introductory thing about seven years ago. (laughs) I remember you being there and having a wonderful personality and brightening up, brightening up the end of the day when we were all starting to flag a bit. So I'm just really interested to hear all about your career, especially because I've just submitted my corrections and I'm now starting to think about careers beyond academia and within academia. Um, And I'm just really interested to hear today about how your career has progressed, things that you've learned along the way, any advice you might have and how it's all come together to be where you are now. Um, So perhaps you could start by just giving us a bit of background on your career so how you got to where you are now yeah so um i i always say like my my career has been incredibly eclectic in in every possible way so i actually started working professionally when i was uh, 14 i so i was um a theater kid in in all of its stereotypes um and I was a dancer and an actor and a singer and so I was in the the youth company actually at the Northcott Theatre on the University of Exeter campus when I was a teenager and so I was working all through secondary school um and then decided kind of had a decision to make between going to stage school and going to university I was always quite academic so I thought I'd go down the university route um but I did a degree in in dance and theatre, perhaps <laughs> unsurprisingly. And I always say, look, the within about a week of starting my undergraduate degree, I met a PhD student. Well, he just actually, I think, just passed his viva, called Martin Hargreaves, um, who was one of our yeah, what at Exeter would be a PTA, I guess, but he was our seminar teacher on one of our modules, and he was great you know he made a really great impression on me but also he talked to us about his PhD and about his research and I had this kind of moment of of clarity you know like clouds parting kind of aha where I went oh so this this you know this discipline this this art that I love I can actually combine that with kind of my love of learning and my love of knowledge and and I could become a researcher and I could become an academic and even though I was going to university to do a degree in in that subject it hadn't occurred to me that that was even a, you know a job <laughs> that somebody could have so right right from that beginning point in my undergraduate degree I was like right I want to be an academic I want to do a PhD I want to teach at university that was kind of so I made that decision really early on um 
and I'm kind of, I'm quite a, <laughs> quite stubborn and relentless. So, you know, once I make a decision, I stick to it. So, you know, I, I did my undergraduate degree, I did a research master's, and then I got um, a post at the University of Leeds, which was to do my PhD part-time and to be a member of academic staff in the department part-time. They called it a research associate. Um, and, and yeah, and that, that's, how I, that's how I became an academic really. And so I did that for six years. And during those six years, I did a myriad of things. I ended up leading undergraduate degree programs and developing master's programs and moving institutions. Um, but the one thing I didn't do in that period is complete my PhD. So I really struggled um, with work-life balance and mental health and well-being and worked far more than uh, 1.0 on kind of 0.5 research, 0.5 teaching um, and made myself very, very poorly. Um, and as a result, decided to withdraw from the PhD and concentrate on, on, on my teaching. Um, and that sort of, over time, I kind of, I think I naively thought if I kind of let the, the, the structure and the time pressures of the PhD go, it might alleviate it a bit, but it didn't because there's a cultural issue in HE, but there's also a me issue in this. <laughs> I am a perfectionist. I am an overworker. Um, I'm not very good at, at work-life balance. <laughs> and so I, ended up in that position again. Once I, I moved to the University of Northampton, I did the same thing. I was on a four day a week lectureship and I was working six, if we're being conservative days a week, you know, uh, eight in the morning till eight, nine at night. Um, and I did the same thing. I, I worked myself um, until I was ill and completely burnt out. And it was that second time that I had to take a step back and go, something's not working here. I love teaching. I love research. I love working with students. I love, love working in HE. But something about this just does not work for me. And it brings out qualities in me that make me unwell. You know, those kind of perfectionism and that sort of stuff. So I, oh, sorry, cats just appeared. Um, she wants to get involved. Um, I, yeah, so I kind of, I reached this kind of crisis point and I always, say like these things aren't just professional these are personal as well so part of that crisis point was that my my grandmother who um pretty much raised me passed away unexpectedly and I was you know on the other side of the country marking <laughs> undergraduate essays when I could have been with her and I think I the whole thing kind of came to a head and I realized that I was doing the wrong thing um and so I started to kind of have an existential crisis of, you know, like what you said when we started, like, but I've wanted to do this since I was 18. I've never tried to get any experience in anything else. I'd had a part-time job in a bookshop, which was wonderful and gave me all sorts of skills. But nonetheless, you know, what the hell was I going to go on to when people were saying, well, why don't you retrain as a secondary school teacher? I didn't want to retrain. I'm not a fan of teenagers, certainly not en masse. Individually, they're fine. Um, and so there was all sorts of things and I just sort of signed up for lots of job alerts, jobs.ac.uk, all of that sort of stuff. And up comes this job at the University of Exeter and I knew I wanted to move back to Devon because that's where I'm from. 
um, for research and development program manager for PGRs was what it was called at the time to run training and development for PhD students. And I thought, well, given my experience as an academic, given my experience as um, a PhD student, you know, I feel like I've got I've got some credibility here and I've got some some interest in kind of making sure that other people haven't gone don't go through what I went through and that can learn from my mistakes and also I've got lots of teaching experience and and all of that sort of stuff so applied and six years later um here I am <laughs> I'm 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 still here and um, and you know a wonderful thing of serendipity where it was it was really a kind of shot in the dark this job um for me I wasn't sure if I would like it um I wasn't really sure if I was cut out to be in professional services if I would <coughs> sorry if I would encounter the same problems that I'd had as an academic with work-life balance and kind of boundaries and all that sort of stuff um but actually it was the step removed that I needed I still get to do all the things I love I still do teaching I still do research but it's it's really been a way for me to channel what in some ways was quite a negative experience of being a, an academic into something really positive um, and to feel like I'm I'm kind of making a, a contribution to the sector and the system because whilst I recognize that a lot of my issues were were to do with my personality and and who I am also you know there are cultural issues in the sector to do with overwork and all those sorts of stuff and all those sorts of things and hopefully in the role that I'm in I can do a little bit to help take that pressure off new students coming in. Um, and how did you find the shift when you moved away from the PhD um, into the professional services community? Was that what you expected or were there aspects of that that you hadn't anticipated and how did you feel how did you feel that that community received you as someone who hadn't finished your PhD um, for various mm -hmm. reasons? How did you find that sort of introduction to that new area? In terms of the transition, I think there was, I, I was worried about that kind of concept of failure um, and that I would be perceived as some form of failure. And I think inevitably for some people, um, perhaps some academics, that, that is how they will see it because, you know, academia is, is, is the goal. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I, I guess I felt like that, but for the majority of people that's just not the case and I was worried about my credibility in terms of not having the PhD <laughs> um, but again actually you know I remember a conversation with one academic where they found out I didn't have a PhD and they seemed a bit kind of like a little bit taken aback and then they realized that I had spent five years um, teaching at as a lecturer in another Russell Group University and all of a sudden that you know that was completely you know it was it became completely irrelevant that I didn't have the PhD because actually I have the experience I've been an academic I've been a researcher I may not have the letters before my name but I have all of the kind of the credentials and the credibility through experience um, and that's what people value and I find working with academic colleagues that's it's really really valuable to be able to kind of empathize and really understand because I've been there I you know I know what it's like and also you know in terms of professional services I think what I didn't know before I went into professional services is how many people with PhDs 
are in professional services, particularly I'm in research services in the doctoral college. And my, I mean, I mean, my two, my, my sort of equivalent at the, when I started and my boss both have PhDs, that's still the case. Um, you know, I work with colleagues in kind of research funding and grants and all sorts of stuff. So many with PhDs. I'm currently working on a project with the climate um, emergency kind of sustainability team. The head of that team also has a PhD and these are all professional services. So actually kind of, you know, there are not everybody, but so many people in that kind of supporting function of the university have made that transition from academia. Um, or some form of research and so I felt that to be a really welcoming environment because it felt like it felt like the right decision if you see what I mean I kind of stepped in and went oh this is this is the right thing this feels like my space and my people in a way and that must have been really important after going through a difficult period during the PhD to then change career which must have been incredibly intimidating um, to then move into that environment and feel welcome and know it's the right place for you, that must have been really reassuring. Um, and, mm. I, and I think that that experience that you'd had, although of course it was awful at the time, it does mean that you've been able to contribute more than someone who had a happy, easy PhD experience. I agree. Um, it means that you know what support a PhD student needs at different times. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in that. I think, I think there's a lot of merit in the fact that you know what students need. Um, I'm interested in the research and development programme that you've spearheaded um, at Exeter. Um, was that something that you very quickly, once you'd switched, made this shift in your career, did you know that that's what you wanted to put together or did that come together slowly after years of seeing the gaps once you are actually on the on the inside of sort of the training um side of things a combination really so i i mean i inherited i inherited a program and it's it's changed quite significantly since i took it over um but so there was the kind of there was the basis so coming in as somebody new i had you know i had a really good starting point um and then i you know i had i had ideas quite a you know right at the beginning of things I wanted to do and you know we introduced this quickly in terms of well-being workshops and various different things um all of which have evolved hugely since their introduction but so there were some kind of immediate things and also moving more content online which um you know has turned out to work in our favor um but so there were some little kind of immediate things but the rest has really been evolving um and it wasn't until probably about three years ago that we kind of started the academic year and I went, yeah, this is a this felt like a completely new program. This felt like a completely new entity because it had been through sort of so many iterations of change um, because the experience of being a researcher. And like you said, I think having a negative experience, like I do believe that makes me uniquely placed to understand what people really need. Um, but also kind of being part of the landscape. And, you know, it's an area of practice and of scholarship in and of itself. You know, there's a journal of research development um, and, you know, it, it it's its own kind of sector and its own research area and educational entity area of practice. And so, you know, you need to be kind of inducted 
into that to really understand and also you know getting to know the university and getting to know the students and that's something that I I put I place a lot of importance of on is actually engaging with our academics meaningfully <laughs> having difficult conversations and also you know engaging with our students and talking to them and being part of their community and again being open to having difficult and challenging conversations because I think sometimes there's I think sometimes people have a lot of things that they might want to say that's feedback or critique about things that they experience but they don't want to because they don't want to be perceived as annoying or argumentative or um, that you know or they think actually the person doing this is really nice and I don't want to upset them or I don't want to cause problems and I'm always like actually <laughs> and if you don't tell me what the problems are I can't offer I can't find the solutions and I, I'm always kind of like tell me what's not working on the program I don't take it personally I need I need to know because if I don't if you don't tell me what's wrong then I'll assume everything's perfect I mean I won't because that's not who I am but I'll assume everything's fine and I'll continue as I am and actually th th that that doesn't achieve anything for any of us so so I think there's a kind of an openness that's been really important to kind of hearing what hasn't worked for people in the past and, and what still doesn't work for people and and how we might bring about more change so it I see it as a constantly evolving entity <laughs> and also I can't I, I'm you know we've interacted in various ways you you will know I'm not very good at sitting still or letting things um sit as they are just because something works doesn't mean it can't be made better um and so yeah I'm, I'm never the kind of person that's going to go oh yeah that's done now I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back and relax I'm always going to find find things that need addressing and improving. You are a, a true perfectionist, I think. <laughs> yeah, I am. You comments are just screaming perfectionist to me. But actually, I remember coming along to one of the sessions. I think it's it was in that year that you're talking about where the program started to feel quite different. I think it was 20, 2018 or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you ran a session on perfection perfectionism. And for me, it was really useful because I was, you know, briefly, I was at that point writing my literature review and I was finding that there was, as you'll know from your PhD, there's so much literature out there and you think, gosh, I've got to have everything in my literature review. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to sort of those perfectionist tendencies to come out and you think you've got to write everything, but you just need to use the most relevant things to situate your work. Um, and I remember finding that such a useful session. Um, and I think so many people did, but it's also for you you were so friendly at that session but then it's difficult for you I, I assume to separate what you're doing and getting feedback on your sessions um, from you as a person because you have put so much effort into creating the program so do you find that difficult taking on although you, you're super encouraging about receiving feedback do you find that difficult have you had to become more resilient as more students do the program and might provide feedback which might be um constructive um but nevertheless still might be suggesting you change the way you do things yeah it's hard it's really hard um and I have had to develop a thicker skin I mean in some cases we you know in in some ways we are 
as an academic you have to do that you know I remember getting my first peer review back um (laughs) which was not not the most fun I've ever had um and and various different things you know we're we're used to being challenged and critiqued in that way I think very similarly to with you know your research and your PhD it's something that you're passionate about and you put your heart and soul into so when when there is criticism or when something's not working it's it's hard to hear but I I do try and I, I try as much as I can to separate things out I always try and distance myself from any feedback I get first and go okay just take a step back and actually just always see it as right how 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 can I use this what can I do with it so that it doesn't just sit as an email that somebody has sent me or a comment that somebody's made to me you know at the end of a workshop that it actually becomes something something changes as a result of it and then that that feels like an an empowering way to kind of deal with it and also you know apart from the odd case where people are in circumstances where they're particularly stressed or frustrated or overwhelmed or any of the above where they might not articulate feedback in the kindest of ways you know that that's the exception rather than the rule most of the time particularly because I approach it on a kind of like I want to know what's wrong people are honest but they're fair um and and they don't kind of it doesn't come from a place of attack it really comes from a place of wanting to enter into a dialogue and to um and to make things better as well and so that feels like a completely different conversation to have with somebody because you know I always get when people send feedback I so often get emails going this is not about you or I know it's not your fault or something like that and actually I don't I don't need that because the necessarily because the tone and the way that they communicate it's it's very supportive um and I think you know that's the PGR community is incredibly vocal in so many ways, um, which is brilliant. But actually, like, in terms of, you know, being kind of embedded within it, it's so supportive. So if there was someone listening to this conversation and they were feeling inspired by the way you're talking about how we can change the support that is available for academics and PhD students, do you have advice on that shift from academia as in being a PhD student into professional services do you feel that you learned although it sounds like you had a a relatively smooth transition into that aspect of your career do you have advice on what you might have done differently or how or perhaps even as well how someone can go about looking into these opportunities because I think that speaking as a PhD student at the moment it, it can be difficult to know what's out there Um, in the world of professional services we tend to take it for granted we get emails and we think that's a fab that looks like a really useful event I'll sign on to that but actually we don't know who's working behind the scenes and who does what so do you have advice on how you navigated that shift what you might have done differently but also how we can as PhD students how we can access um, those jobs or start to learn about what's out there yeah I think one of the reasons why the shift was quite easy for me is that so an exeter my role is professional services but in other institutions they sometimes call my role academic related <laughs> so like much like the academic development team who run lthe and all that sort of stuff you know we our roles are not purely professional services they're they're very hybrid um and and that's why what attracted me to it because it, it allowed me to continue 
teaching and engaging with research and scholarship, but in a slightly different kind of environment and context. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why it was a sort of slightly easier transition for me because it, it felt more familiar, um, I guess, to what I was already doing. Um, in terms of what I might have done differently, ooh, um, I think probably ties into the next thing, actually, which is about kind of how you find out about opportunities. So, I mean, I, I just signed up for every, I knew I wanted to move back to Devon. I wasn't really sure that I was kind of <laughs> qualified to do anything but work in higher education. So I just signed up to all the job alerts I could for anything relating to higher education. And I was getting literally everything. I was getting like, um, like rugby coach adverts for the university and all sorts I, I wasn't filtering because I was aware that I I knew so little um and so part of it is a huge part of it is awareness raising and I wish I'd done this earlier I wish I'd engaged with professional services earlier and part of that is just kind of opening your eyes to the work that's going on around you so you know if you're on a a funded um, research grant or a DTP, there will be people supporting you. Um, there'll be some, you know, if you're on a doctoral training partnership, there will be someone running the doctoral training partnership. Quite possibly that person has a PhD. Um, you know, if you're applying for grants as a postdoc, there will be someone supporting you in research services. They will be called, they will be called a research development manager, not research development manager. It's a cause of much confusion. Um, um, but, you know, quite a lot of my colleagues who do that role have PhDs. It's a very different role because it's much more advisory and it's much more um, project management um, focused. But actually, you'd be surprised how applicable everything you learn as a PhD student is. And even though it may feel like chalk and cheese, actually more often than not, it's the same thing, but in a different language. And I talk about this. Um, so my partner's an academic and we talk about this a lot and, and he gets frustrated when I talk about things like, um, when I talk about in management speak and you know stakeholder analysis and like um, market driven, and I'm just trying to think of all the other kind of buzzwords. Um, and I always say, but it, you know, I talk about stakeholder mapping and stakeholder management. All I mean is talking to and engaging with students and academics and all the people that are relevant to the delivery of the research development programme. It's not anything different. It's just a different language. I have another question for you, which is a difficult question, but you run your various sessions on perfectionism or resilience, etc. And I was wondering to what extent you feel that you take that advice, the advice that you give, do you take it on board yourself or do you, does things like that only really resonate with you when you hear them from someone else? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, because one of the, so one of the things that's been really important to me um, as a teacher um, has been uh, what, what is referred to in the literature as authentic teaching. 
So it's about bringing yourself into the classroom and it's not about kind of, you know, exposing your deepest, darkest secrets. It's about being open and honest, sharing your experience of, of what you're talking about, sharing your failures, all those sorts of things. And so, you know, particularly where I haven't been very good at things like perfectionism, work-life balance, I, I try and bring that into sessions because I feel it, it humanizes it, it you know what I'm saying it grounds it in in real world experience um but also you know being honest about the fact that I know so I know all of the kind of things that I talk to people about literature reviews so I talk about literature reviews I talk about working habits I talk about not checking your email about you know dedicating time um kind of environment and all those sorts of things I know that they're true nine times out of 10. I don't necessarily do them, even though I know that they're true. I do sometimes do them, <laughs> but it's, you know, I don't always take my own advice, um, but that's a learning process. And I think being honest about that and saying, you know, I know the way that I'm supposed to do things. I know that I'm supposed to take regular breaks. I know I'm supposed to get away from my desk at lunch, but you know, I don't always do it that's part of that process that's part of that being open and humanizing it is saying look nobody's perfect just because I've told you you need to like research shows you need to take a break every five every 25 minutes of five minutes doesn't mean when you leave this room or leave this team's call or whatever that I expect that you're gonna do that from now on or that you should expect that of yourself yeah absolutely I know that when I have been to training sessions and the person delivering the training um, you might get the impression that they do all of these things perfectly and it sort of creates a bit of a divide between you and them and you just think well I'm not like you so I can't achieve any of this whereas when they say actually I'm not so good at this either you think oh, okay right okay that's 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 normal that's human maybe I can try and make a few of these changes that um that you're suggesting I think it's really important I really like I'm really passionate about it and it's it's also one of the reasons that one of the developments in the past couple of years, we've got postgraduate teaching assistants um, delivering on the research development programme. So some of those sessions like literature reviews and various different things, um, they now deliver. And I think that that's really important as well because it has it has that currency and they can share their experiences in a way that really makes it, it makes it really real and really tangible for the people attending. And that's really important to me. We learn so much more when it's someone who can who we can relate to and there's something quite fundamental about that um, with all these types of training which again comes back to your position um, and your experience of your PhD and why you are creating such wonderful things because of your experiences and how things that might during your PhD might have felt that it was the end of the world and now looking back you're able to take that long view and see that actually it's made you've contributed a lot to so many different individuals experiences of their PhD because of your experiences. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And I think that's where that kind of having conversations with people is really important. You know, if you're if you're not certain about an academic career and whether it, it's for you, actually, you know, talking to your supervisors or if that doesn't feel like it's the right route, reaching out to other people in your department, um, people like me, other people in professional services, to just have those conversations with um that's something that I really wish that I'd done because I think I probably would have got to where I to where I am kind of in my 
career but also kind of in in my life um <laughs> much more quickly um i i I, th I think because I just would have been aware of this kind of whole other world and way of doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also worth always remembering that of the people, people who reach out to you to say thank you for that session or that was really helpful. There'll be twice as many people who found it just as helpful, but haven't emailed you. Um, and that's something like for me, for example, I've never reached out to you to say that I've appreciated everything you've done, but you've been sort of part of my experience as a PhD student as a PGR from masters onwards all the way through my Exeter experience but I haven't ever reached out to you like admittedly I now I now realize I should have done um but I haven't reached out to you to say thank you so I think something like Twitter um something like Twitter is is a good way because then I saw you spoke about this and I thought oh you're interesting I'd love to learn a bit more about your career um so it, Twitter does have its for all of our criticism it does have our benefit it does have its benefits you know, you can't, you can't expect people to kind of constantly tell you how good and how wonderful you are um, because it's just not realistic um, and not always true, but, but also it's just, it's, it's the wrong thing to kind of be motivated by, I think, but then, but then sometimes when, so when it does come, it like makes it all the more meaningful. So I'm, I'm actually, tonight is the Guild Teaching Awards and one of our PGRs nominated me for outstanding research support. And I've had a good little cry about that already. Mm. Um, I will have a good little cry about it again later, I'm sure, just because it just completely moved um, that someone would take the time and the, and the energy to do that. Um, it, it, it's really meaningful so I think it's about not, like not expecting it and, and knowing like you say that quite a lot of the time you're having an impact and people are just going on with that and because you're having an impact people are able to just go on with their lives and you don't necessarily hear it and that's good that's fine I'm you know I'm quite I'm quite happy with that but those little those little nuggets and those little moments um they can be really really meaningful and like you said like you were saying about motivation that's kind of that really pushes me forward particularly when things are tough like they've been for the past year um and where you know university systems feel like they're against us and I'm kind of you know almost shouting in, in meetings PGRs exist you know um which everyone's at the university is going to be completely fed up with after six years of me doing it but <laughs> you know it it makes it it, it's a, perhaps not it makes it worthwhile it's a reminder of why yeah yeah and where do you where do you see yourself going or or are you not someone who thinks too far ahead if you if you had to <laughs> where you'd like to be in a few years time or where you'd like the programs that you're delivering to be if not you personally have you had thoughts about that yeah yeah I am I am quite a kind of um I am unashamedly ambitious. I think that's probably the way that I would put it and other people would put it as well. I've never been kind of, and I've always have been since I was little. And, you know, I, I come from a, a really working class background, but, you know, with, with parents and with extended family who were really kind of like, if you want to do it, do it. <laughs> and so I've never kind of, you know, I've been really lucky to have been, been brought up with that kind of attitude where I, I, I have that kind of 
that sense of self-belief it's not always self-esteem or kind of but it's there's that kind of fuel and so I you know I I, I would like to in the future move on to kind of a senior leadership role in the university um in higher education where I can be kind of operating at a higher level and a more strategic level to kind of create more top-down change so I guess it's about having a wider impact you know when I taught undergraduates we had you know maybe 50 students in a year group we were small year groups um sometimes quite smaller than that and so you know at any one time I could be teaching sort of 200 students and it was great and you're having quite a wide range of impact you know now we're two to two and a half thousand PGRs again the level of impact on the student experience has kind of upped its game um from moving to be an academic into this role it'd be nice to kind of in the future make another jump that allows me to to create change and have impact on an even wider range of students yeah I am I've so enjoyed hearing all about your career it's inspiring to hear about the, the way that you've you've sort of always known potentially where you're going if you haven't maybe if you haven't even realized it yourself yeah. it sounds like you even when you were young and you were going off to university you had these different ideas and your experiences have really shaped where you've gone and you've gone you've sort of gone with the flow and that's meant that you've had what sounds like quite a satisfying career because you've Very. done what you know you can contribute well to um I think quite often we don't tend to listen to that and we get worried about moving beyond certain boundaries um but I think your career is testament to the fact that if you if you take that if you make the leap it does usually pay off and I think as well like trusting your gut is really important to me um and actually you know I, I work very closely with my colleague Kate Foster who's a careers coach and we talk about this quite often and we we've talked about my career as kind of a example of things and we talk about it as something it's called planned happenstance so it's those kind of accidents that happen, like me, like me getting this job. It was all kind of by chance, and the timing was right, and and um, and various different things. It wasn't like this was where I was planning for my career to go, but actually, it's ended up being the right move and the right decision because I kind of trusted my, I trusted my intuition, and I trusted my gut, and um, and I knew you know I'd reflected and thought about but at this point about what worked for me and what I wanted out of a job um and you know but it took me six years of being an academic to realize it was the wrong thing mm. so anyone listening to this and thinking that maybe they'd be interested in a career in professional services <laughs> needs to contact you as a matter of a matter of priority to have a they discussion are <laughs> they are welcome to they are welcome to um and you know I've had those conversations with lots of people over the years um, and it, it's a nice thing to be able to do because again it's that sense of it's something that I didn't know yeah yeah absolutely um well thank you very much thank you for letting me I've had the pleasure the privilege of interviewing you um and I know that you don't thank want you. To, you don't want it to be all about you but I would also like to say on behalf of the PGR community a big thank you for all the work that you have done um, and best of luck for the um, enjoy the awards tonight. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Charlotte for taking the time to talk to me. Um, since the podcast was recorded, we obviously had the teaching awards. I did not win um, an award, but I'm still incredibly, incredibly touched and moved 
um, to have been nominated and to have been shortlisted amongst my academic peers. It's fantastic. And another update career-wise for me since then is that I am about to go part-time in research development so that I can go on secondment for a year as a research and EDI manager. So I'm going to be working at the University of Exeter to set up a working group and develop an action plan for making our research processes and structures more inclusive. So, you know, it's the next stage. I've gone from two and a half thousand PGRs to 6,000 plus researchers that I'm looking after. So it's a really exciting move for me. And that's it for this episode. Join us next time when we'll be talking to another researcher about their career beyond their research degree.